And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who is by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his child. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they are assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. That's what he was singing about. That's what he was singing about. And God will hear the prayers of his people when we determine in our hearts to trust him and allow him to use us. Amen? Well, what I was trying to say this morning, and thank you so much. Many of you shared from your heart about the message this morning, and I appreciate that so much. And the words that didn't make it out of my mouth is the, the concept, the thought, the description of a post-Christian America. And I know I always get a little pushback when I mention the fact that America is not a Christian nation. And I'm going to be very candid with you. I'm not sure America ever was a Christian nation. When you take the concept the Founding Fathers based this country on Christian principles, in that sense, it was a Christian nation. I will go there. But you know, America has no special draw with God. We are simply a people that have been saved by grace. But God owes America nothing. But what has happened over these last years, as we have watched, we have seen the departure of this Christian atmosphere in America and we are slowly becoming a post-Christian nation. We see this in Europe. We see it in Canada. And we are seeing it in our own country. Of all the things that I saw, and I'm not trying to get an amen. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just going to tell you something I saw. That if anything showed the at political atmosphere in America, unless it was a photocropped shot, but it was shown on the national news, so I don't think it was. Um, after the announcement of the same-sex marriage decision by the Supreme Court, it showed a picture of the White House lit up in the rainbow colors. And I'm going, there's something wrong with this when the people's house, the people's house is making a statement about this. And it just really told me fresh and new that we live in a country today that is post-Christian. And the reason that's so important is, is that we, it helps us understand what we face as Christians in America. If we blindly go on just believing that America is the same good old America with the same cultural values and the same core values, we will not be prepared for the onslaught that is coming. And brothers and sisters, it's coming. I will be bringing some recommendations to the church, asking church to approve some committees to take another hard look at our Constitution, to take another hard look at the use of our building, to make a hard look at our wedding policy, preparing to defend ourselves against the time when someone comes in this place and wants to use our building for a same-sex marriage. 
the political culture and the moral culture of this country has shifted. And the only hope is Jesus Christ. And again, if you go into war blindly, don't be surprised if you get shot. I'm telling you, we need to come to the fact where, where Tyler, we need to pray. And we got to stop praying for Grandma's toenail and start praying for revival in America. Start praying for God to do something great. And here's the deal. We've got to be willing to be those warriors. We've got to be willing to be those ones on the front lines, not only praying, but having a preparedness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not too late for America. But nor can we go on and believe that America is the same old America that it was. It is not. So here's what happened. I was going, I was going to speak tonight, tying in this morning's message with the thought of Isaiah 61, where there was a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, you know, I've come to heal the brokenhearted, to set the prisoner free. I was going to call it, Oh Beautiful, speaking about our Savior being the beautiful one. Um, Thursday morning, I was reading my daily devotional stuff and, and, and reading through the Bible and the New Testament, and I stumbled into 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and that's where we're going to be tonight. And I saw this, and as I read this, I realized how even better it would seem it would tie into what I wanted to share this morning and did share this morning. What I didn't realize was is that it looked, as I read it, I said, oh, yeah, that'll preach. You know, that, that'd be real good. But as I studied this afternoon trying to get this, my arms around it and get in my head, I realized it wasn't quite as easy as I thought it was. And so I probably won't be able to do the, the treatment that it deserves. But I really think there's some things that we can learn today living in a post-Christian America. And by the way, if you've got questions about that, if you say, well, what do you mean by that? If you'll you know, see me after church or see me in my office, I'll be glad to share with you, knowing the culture um, that we live in. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, Paul is writing, obviously, to the church at Corinth in, in his second or third letter, because one letter was obviously lost, and so there are probably three letters to the Corinthians, um, but, but this is entitled and given the title by us as set the, letter, the second letter of the Corinthian church to the Corinthian church. And here's the deal. Um, in this context, you know, Paul had it hard. Have you figured that out? Here's, here's the deal. When, when Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, all his old friends were no longer his old friends. The, the Jews, the Pharisees and scribes and Jews hated Paul. And, and he suffered for that. He, he, was, he was beaten um, with many stripes. Uh, tried, they plotted to kill him. Over and over again, he suffered for the cause of Jesus Christ. So that was going on. And as he went around, of course, Christians didn't trust him. Um, because of his past, hello, everyone got a past? Well, because of his past and the fact that he, he was responsible for the imprisonment and death of so many believers in Christ, those who followed, as it was called then, the way, a lot of Christians didn't trust him. And then there were folks like in the Corinthian church, and Paul really def is defending himself to the church at Corinth and to members of the church at Corinth. You know, it's one thing when you've got enemies out in the world and they don't like you. You know, you kind of get that and you understand that. But what about a church that you helped found and you're being accused of things that are not true? So Paul had enemies outside the church and Paul had enemies inside the church. And so in addressing those issues, I think he gives us some things that we need to know for a post-Christian America. 
And I think we'll hear some words tonight from God's Word that will encourage us. Because as I said this morning, don't you dare leave church. Don't you dare get the attitude of defeatism when it comes to God. Because in that cutesy little saying, you plus God make a majority, there's tons of truth. My Father is in charge of this world. And let me tell you something. He has a plan. So don't you think God's defeated? Don't you think God's dead? God is God and He is on the throne. And some of this, by the way, and some of this is simply end-time stuff. It's, it, we're seeing it played out around the world. I've always been amazed the fact, if you ever thought about this, and some people argue points, but by and large, this superpower called America is not mentioned in the end times. There's a very strong possibility that by the time this thing winds down, America will not be, will not be, will not be the superpower that she is today. Our Father has a plan. So let's take a look, and we'll just go as we go. And like I say, we'll just see how this works out, because I didn't get my arms around all of it. I need to be very candid with you, very transparent with you. But it starts out so powerfully in verse number 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. The first thing I want to share with you, the first thing I want to give you, that as a follower of Christ, as a believer in Christ, do not give up. And the reason why is, listen, we have, just like Paul, it's interesting, Paul's talking about himself, but he uses the, the plural pronoun we. We have been given this ministry. Actually, he's talking about himself, but he brings us in. He gathers us in and says, since we have been given this ministry. Look over a couple pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 18. This is so strong and so powerful. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us. Now these are just wonderful words have reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Reconcile means to be brought into, to be brought back. So we have been brought to God by Jesus Christ. And then, watch this, watch this. And he has given us what? The ministry of reconciliation. God has given to us as ambassadors, and we're going to use that word in just a moment, as ambassadors, he has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. And once again, listen, that's why we've got to be ready. That's why, as Peter said, we've got to be ready to give a reason of the hope that lies within us. That's why we've got to be ready when the refugees from the sinful world finally figure out, drawn by the Father perhaps, but they figure out that whatever they're pursuing, whether it be materialism, whether it be the sexual things of the world that we see in the sexual revelation, whatever it is they're pursuing, when they finally, the light comes on, they go, wait a minute. This isn't working. This is not fulfilling me. I'm not the happy person that I thought would be. And they look for truth. That's why we've got to be ready to give them the truth. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling, bringing the world to himself, not imputing, not charging. This accounting term. Not charging their trespasses to them. And has committed to us that word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled 
to God. And I just love verse 21. I use it perhaps more than any verse in the New Testament, it seems like, because I love it shows what Christ did for us. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul says the task given to us, the task given to us is the ministry of reconciliation. And just like I said not too long ago, when I looked at the moms and the dads in the sanctuary over there on a Sunday morning, I said there's no greater calling in your life than to mother or to father, to parent your children. As believers in Jesus Christ, there is no greater calling than this ministry of reconciliation. We, that's a good place for an amen. But, but we don't get this. We don't get this. We don't understand this. And in fact, that God has entrusted this to us is just simply amazing. So as there's, there's, coming, there's coming a surge of refugees from this world. And it's called the world of sin. And they're sinners. And they're going to be looking for hope. And whether it be at the mine 500 feet underground, whether it be at the east side school in the break room talking to another teacher, whether it be a child who pulls you aside in a classroom and asks a question about God, which I think legally you can then talk to that child if they ask for a question, whether it be in our sanctuary on Sunday morning or our services on Wednesday night, wherever it is and whatever it is, we must be ready for this ministry of reconciliation. And Paul says it's so important we can't give up. It's so important. We can't give up. But then also he says this. Since we were shown mercy. What an experience. Paul understood mercy. Mercy. In mercy, God did not give Paul what he deserved. At that time, he was named Saul. He deserved death, hell, and damnation. He deserved eternal separation. It's responsible for so many Christians being in prison and so many Christians dying. That's what he deserved. But God in mercy did not give him that. He gave him what he did not deserve, and that was Forgiveness, And God's done that for each one of us. Each one of us deserved damnation and hell and separation. But God in His mercy gave us forgiveness. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that wonderful? So, so since what we've been given, the ministry of reconciliation, and since what we've experienced... Now listen, listen, listen. This has got to be the greatest motivating factor in, in being the ambassador God wants us to be is what we've experienced. I said this morning, each one of you have a story. You have a story somewhere. Perhaps some, some of y'all is a real sordid tale of drugs or alcohol or, or adultery or pornography. I mean, you've got a sin list this long and it would go this long. But some of us, like say, I was raised, my greatest crime, which is a big one, was I was the best hypocrite in town. I would get up and tell testimonies and people would cry and weep and I would cry and weep and people would tell me, pat me on the head and say what a wonderful Christian boy I was. And I was lost. I was lying. Let me tell you I was lying. But it was a good gig because everybody liked me. Even the girls kind of liked me. It was a good gig. But it was a lie. So whether you had the long sin list and everybody go, wow, at that testimony... Or whether you've got the, I was raised in church testimony, you know, all of us experience God's mercy. And that's enough forever to thank Him. Because on our very best day, on our very best day, we were lost, depraved, separated from God, sinners. Okay? You got that? And you've been forgiven and granted the ministry of sharing reconciliation. How can a man, how can a woman be reconciled? We've been given that, so now we must not give up. He goes on and says this. Instead, now keep it in mind, people have accused 
Paul of being confusing in his teaching, and I probably would be a member of that club. Just a cursory reading of Romans or Hebrews, if Paul wrote Hebrews, would drive you nuts. Okay, so so he, you know, they say your message is confusing. We think sometimes you're on the take. Maybe you're in this gig, you know, telling Paul or Saul, you know, by the time Paul, maybe maybe you're in it for the money to make money. Okay, all of that. Instead, we have renounced secret, shameful, secret things, not walking. In deceit, I love this, or distorting God's message, but committing ourselves to every man's conscience, every person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of the truth. Paul said, There is no place and there is no place and there is no time for deceit. There is no place and no time for distorting God's message. Let me tell you something. We need to be careful handlers of the word of God. We need to be, listen, we've got no business taking an obscure verse out somewhere and building a doctrine that God never intended to be made of. I still love the fact that, that somewhere in the Old Testament, I think it's the book of Numbers, it says a woman shouldn't wear that pertaining to a, to a man. And there are sermons built on women wearing pants in church. Wearing pants, crazy. And I mean, it's a major thing. You know, Dave and I both were in independent churches for a while. And a sermon wasn't a sermon until the preacher mentioned long hair and women wearing pants. And it was an obscure verse never intended for that. So we got to be careful not to distort God's message, not have anything to do with shameful, secret things, not walking in deceit. In fact, he says, commending ourselves, committing ourselves to each person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of what? The truth. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's really important. I want you to listen. Often we hear the world say, the reason I'm not a Christian is because I see those people in the world and they're not very Christian. I told you, I was at Walmart, now it's been about a year ago, and I made the mistake of inviting a person to Dorisville, and they pointed their finger at me and said, I will never go to your church. A member of your church broke up my family. Yeah, I didn't go, that witness didn't go very far. And all I can say is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The world should not expect us to be perfect because we're not. Say I'm not perfect and believe it. You're not. That, that will help you so much in chucking rocks. If you just remember something, you're a sinner saved by grace and you're not perfect. I don't care what your wife tells you, you're not. It really helped you in the rock chucking department. The world has no right to expect us to be perfect. But they do have the right to expect us to be real. To be authentic. The hypocrite is the person who says one thing and does another. It doesn't work anymore, but it used to work. A definition of hypocrite was a preacher who would preach about pornography and go home and watch it on his VCR. That's a hypocrite. A hypocrite is not a person who goes to church and is still imperfect because we all are imperfect. Again, if I'm sick, I'm going to the hospital, and this place is a hospital for sinners. It's where lost people can get saved, and it's where saved people can be more like Jesus. Amen? And that's, that's what we need to see in this, that Paul was authentic. Paul was real. Paul was transparent. There's so much power in transparency. 
I know sometimes you go, Pastor, you are just a little bit too transparent. Well, let me tell you something. There's power in transparency. Because I'm telling you, as I, if you're sharing a story with one of your friends and you can tell them about how you stumble and how you fail and you experience God's grace and you're a trophy of God's grace, there's power in that. They may not hear it from a guy like me, but they'll hear it from you because they're your friend. And they'll hear you say, I, I stumbled with that, but I've been forgiven by God's amazing grace. Now Paul says, again, this is kind of where the confusing teaching comes in. People are accusing Paul of teaching the gospel in a veiled or in a confusing way. And he answers this by saying, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And then he tells how that happens. And this is something we need to understand. In their case, verse 4, the God of this age, now who's that? Satan. Say Satan. All right. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Satan is so busy. He's, he's a busy enemy. He's doing his best to make you so that you have a, a distorted testimony. He wants you to stumble and fall so that your test, the power of your testimony is negated. He wants to fill you full of fear. Uh, he wants you to, to be full of doubt. Okay, he's busy with that. But he's also busy with the lost man doing their, his best to blind their minds so they not see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. And Paul says, in the case of the perishing, the God of this world is busy blinding the minds of people. We should be busy too. And the answer to a blind man is sight. The answer to darkness is the light. And Jesus himself said, we are the light of this world. And as Satan, our enemy, our adversary, is busy darkening and blinding the eyes, the minds of lost people, we need to be busy sharing the light of the gospel to blind people. Be understanding. And again, be understanding in the sense that lost people often are acting like lost people. We get so frustrated because they don't keep the Bible. Well, they're lost. They're lost. They don't understand the things of God. Neither can they, the Word of God says. So don't be frustrated with a lost man. Rather, again, does this sound familiar? Love them and share the glorious truth of the gospel that the blinders may be taken off and they might be saved. Does that make sense? We're going to be talking about some of this in next week's message and some even in the Ten Commandments as we move forward. Then verse number five. We are not proclaiming ourselves. If you're taking notes, write down. Guess what? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about us. I'm telling you, this church is about two major groups. Well, not groups, two things. One is to glorify God and to be a station of sharing the gospel. If you want to add a third thing in there, we should definitely be a discipling station. But we should glorify God. We should be a place where the truth is preached and lost people can be saved. And we don't do this well. We're working on it. But we should be a place of discipleship where believers can be more like Christ because believers who are being discipled are multipliers. And they lead people to Christ and disciple. And they lead people. And that's how you win a world to Jesus Christ. So, so Paul says these things. We're not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. It's not about us. It is about Him, and it is about them. 
For God who said, verse 6, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to get the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, in the, in the beginning of Genesis, God said, Let there be light, and there was. And the light overcame the darkness. The light of Christ is what can overcome the darkness in this world. And God said, let, there, let light shine out into the darkness. And we are, again, mirrors of the light of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Now we have this treasure in clay jars. You know, clay jars were, were obviously common things. They, they, they chipped easy. Um, they broke easy. They were inexpensive. They were cheap. They were fragile. And yet there was something that was used every day around the house. They were a common thing. Paul says, we had this treasure in commonality and in, in, in brokenness and in crackness and imperfections so that this ordinary p- power may be uh, from God and not from us. It's so cool. In the frailty of our human flesh, you have to reach a point where you go, it's got to be God. You know all that money I make? It's got to be God. You know that talent I've got? It's got to be God. You know, you know that house I live in? It's got to be God. You see how good looking my wife is? Married up. It's got to be God. It's got to be God. It's got to be God. And what, I think that's one reason. God knew how fragile and how frail we were. We've got to, we, we've got to say, people have got to go, it's got to be God. I mean, if we're, you know, again, unfortunately, the church in America is so wealthy. You know, you understand that in a lot of churches, God could never show up, if that's possible, that God could never show up and they do things just normal. Did you know there's a lot of churches in America where if the Holy Spirit never showed up, church would go on as normal. They would still get out at 11.59 every week. Three songs, an offering, a 27-second uh, <laughs> message. Terry Guest would like that one. A 27-minute message, and out the door we go? No, no. We should be such a way that people see our frailty, but they understand that is a glorifying factor of God. We are pressured in every way, but we're not pressured. And Paul knew. Paul experienced this on so many different levels. We, we are pressured in every way, but not crushed. And I thought about Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. And don't be pressured. Don't be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove us that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are pressured in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed. There are things we don't understand, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted. And again, hear your pastor, there are coming days of more persecution. As we go further down the post-Christian road in America, it will be less and less and less popular to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So we are perplexed, not despair. We are persecuted, not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. The steps of a good man. I love this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And He delights in our way. And even if we fall, even if we fall, we are not utterly cast down. Because he upholds us with his strong hand. Somebody say amen. Isn't that wonderful? So Paul knew these things. And he said, listen, we do feel the pressure, but we are perplexed, but we are persecuted, but we are struck down, but. And the big, the, the big picture, 
I almost said the big but. The big picture is but God. But God. But God. You said that before. Dave, where are you at? He's here somewhere. You know, that big point of God. God makes the difference. Oh, there, hi, Dave. What are you doing over there? You never sit there. You're always over there. Burn my rhythm, dude. You burn my rhythm. But aren't the butts of the Bible incredible? They just are. It's incredible. Don't lose sight of that. If God is for us, who can be against us? If our God is sovereign, He is in control. Now, verse 14. Skipping down five verses. Verse 14. We know, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. Paul knew the assurance of the resurrection. And he said, oh, in Philippians, he said, oh, may I know the power of his resurrection. He was confident that the same God who had resurrection power with life of Jesus had resurrection power with his own life. In fact, he says this. Indeed, everything is for your benefit. So that grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. As we are transfers of God's grace and more and more people experience God's grace and more and more people turn from their sin and choose to follow Christ through God's grace, more and more trophies of grace are added for heaven and in God's great trophy hall, we will spend eternity praising the one who is worthy. Amen? Wow. Now, therefore, he says, in case you missed it, verse 16, Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. Our inner person is being renewed day by day. Our inner person is being renewed day by day. And he says, just keep this in mind. Our momentary light affliction." is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. And Miss Nita, it will be worth it all. One of your favorite songs. Remember? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. One glimpse of His dear face. Remember the song? It will be worth it all. These, these things we go through, this momentary light affliction. See, what we suffer on this earth is light compared to eternity with Him. It will be worth it all. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. I can't get that out of my mind. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. That's the hope of the gospel. In nine eight words, the sorrow of sin and pain and suffering, heaven can heal. So, we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. How you live in a post-Christian America, you be ready. Tyler, you be a man of prayer, people of prayer, just like you sang about tonight. We get serious about praying for our neighbors, for our lost. We engage them, embrace them with authenticity and reality in our lives. We, we, we'd be brave enough, we'd be brave enough to take the mask off and be transparent and be real and let them see the working of God's grace in our lives. 
when we are perplexed or, or persecuted or downtrodden, we keep believing that our Father is sovereign and He is in control. And it will be worth it all. Let's pray. Thanks, God, so much for your amazing word and how true it is. Father, I already told the folks, and I'll tell you that sometimes Paul, for me, is just really hard to understand. I get that. But then he says some things like tonight that are just crystal clear. Father, I want to thank you that you recorded his story because it's encouraging for us. Father, I'm grateful for his hard times because we understand he loved you so much and you loved him and yet he had these intense difficulties. And yet you were faithful. And you will be faithful for us too. Again, Father, we'll end the day by praying for our country. Father, she, the people, the culture, the society has turn their backs on you. But because of the hope of the gospel and because of the remnant of your people and because of the power of Jesus Christ, there's so much hope. There's so much hope. God, I pray tonight boldly for an outbreaking of your Holy Spirit in Harrisburg, Illinois. I don't care what church. I don't care if it's downtown. I don't care if it's out Father, on old 13 at Banks of Four, I don't care. I just pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit and revival would sweep through our town and our community. And Father, may the fire spread even beyond that. May we be a, may we be a ready people, a ready people to share the hope of the gospel. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.